Welcome to the Gagaris Babble Podcast. This is Chris. And this is Kate. We are slightly different today. Kate is in sunny Berlin. <laughs> and don't lie to me, I'm sure it's sunny. And I am in mm, cold I'm in cold and rainy Australia. <laughs> and it is very early for me and very late for Kate. And the perils of time zones, and we're both kind of tired for different reasons. I'm drinking coffee, but I'm probably sure you're not. Mm. No, I'm not drinking anything. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I have been back in Melbourne for a little bit. Uh, spoke at a conference last week. I intended to check out a couple of meetups. I haven't done as many as I was intending to, because then damn friends invited me to their houses to uh, have fun. Uh, but I did go on a startup tour of a town called Geelong, which uh, I will get some reports back from soon. That was super interesting. And I'm actually going to a conference today and tomorrow. So I'll probably have more to report back on in the future. And then I'm going to stop in. And you went to another conference, didn't you? No, just a... I write the docs one. That's what I meant. I spoke at last Friday. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. But let's get on with the podcast and we maybe will cover differences between Germany and Australia in the next episode when I have a bit more to cover. Because we've got a little bit to cover and we're both tired. So we'll, uh, we'll get to the point, dear listeners. Okay, Kate. So, uh, first article for you is about Bitcoin. And then I have my own anecdotes for Bitcoin. Yes, the good old Bitcoin. And um, you may have seen today, we've we've seen a, a very recent record high where the Bitcoin surpassed $10,000 in in um, in the um, the value. I guess that's US dollars. It is, yes. Um, but only, I think it's dropped again fairly quickly. It's- after it's that. dropped slightly. I mean, it's... I've been keeping an eye on this because uh, I hold some Bitcoin and I had a certain value in mind that I was interested in. And if it reached that value, uh, I would have sold mine. And it reached that value just before I went to bed. <laughs> and then it dropped again. But um, it looks like it's it, it does this. I think the, gen, the average thing is up. But yeah, mm-hmm. so it's been going crazy. But not just Bitcoin. Ethereum 2, Ripple a little bit. Uh, Neo, IOTA, Litecoin, Litecoin, yeah. all of them have been going crazy. Uh, but mm. this this article is interesting because you're actually talking about um, lost bitcoins. And I'll preface this: this article was in um, Fortune.com, and it's about the a study that was released saying that nearly four million book bitcoins have been lost forever. But I'd encourage listeners, and I'll find the link and put it in our um, you know our, our, our show notes. Take a look in Wired. There was an article by one of the... I can't remember if it was an editor or a journalist, a staffer there. And basically he had some of those early coins that, you know, the ones, the mythical coins that we hear about that suddenly... Genesis you coins. Know, a few years later... The Genesis coins? Hmm? Genesis, I think they're called. Genesis. Oh, that's the blocks. Anyway, don't worry. I know. Carry on. Sorry. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but the story was, in, in short, that he um, put the, you know, his, his address, the digital wallet address... Or the um, you know where I can't quite remember where he was storing the coins. It's a it's, that bit was a bit a bit confusing. I have to read it again. But basically, he had his um, his pin number or his password, whatever you want to call it, um, his address in um, on a piece of paper, oh, and yeah. the piece of paper got thrown out accidentally yeah. by by a cleaner. And um, so it's this terrible story of him going in all these kind of uh, forums and, you know, asking all these experts and saying, what do I do? Is there any way I can get the, um, the password mm, back? Mm. 
and he thinks he, he keeps thinking he knows what the password is. So it's like reading one of those stories where someone's got to do some awful trial or tribulation, and, you, and you're writing the story with them the whole time. Yeah. And so you know his family's trying to guess the password. He uses hypnosis, um, all this stuff, and in the end, he finds a hacker. And um, I won't tell you what happens because I want you to read the article. Yeah. But it's um, it's probably one of the most stressful things I've ever, I've ever read. Um, but basically, the um, the research paper that that was put out by Chain, Chain this is one of those hard to say ones. I apologise. Chainalysis. Chainalysis. I think, I think chainalysis. I'm yeah. going to go for. <laughs> chainalysis. I really hate these made up words because they're awful to say. Basically, talks about all these lost bitcoins, um, and they're implying it's something like up to around twenty percent of existing book bitcoins have been lost, um, wow. and most of them seem to be. There's a, there's a chunk that are out of circulation. There's some um, Satoshi coins. Mm. There's a little bit of transactional. But um, it, it just really makes you wonder, um, these, what they call the hodler coins, which how many of these, are, you know, someone's done just what this writer did where they've got some, you know, magic uh, gold mine that they can't quite access, that they kind of remember having invested in, but they don't have the, the contact details anymore and the security details. So it's... Um, it's, I guess it's um, food for thought for, the, for those of us dabbling with the, um, the cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty that we sure. We do need to be very. I'm pretty sure I've lost a few Satoshi, um, Satoshis uh, in various places. Um, and the, the crazy thing. Yeah, we need to be vigilant on how we secure it. Well, I mean, well, you know, you know. The, the crazy thing is, point one of a Bitcoin now is worth a thousand or so. And exactly. So even even point zero zero one is worth a few dozen dollars. So, you know, it's actually, you're not talking about mm. cents, you're talking about... Um, no. Yeah, it's actually, it reminds me a bit of, uh, uh, when, you know, in Australia you have these super funds and people have lots of mm. bits and pieces all over the place and it's like That's that. Right. And, of course, every time you want to consolidate, it, you get charged a fee and it's the same kind of with Bitcoin. If you want to consolidate all your Bitcoin, you get charged Bitcoin to consolidate them as well. So, you know, <laughs> you should try... Well, it's actually something Kate and I are going to be looking into and maybe we'll do a future article on this about the best practices for securing um, your collections uh, mm. and, and in fact keeping everything in one place is not the best idea unless it's exceptionally secure um, you know and I would even say the same thing with banks and stuff like that if you keep everything in one bank and it fails then yeah, so similar. Yeah, analogies. I mean, we've we've seen some pretty good examples over the last year where all kinds of um, cryptocurrencies have been hacked in some way, or digital wallets, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, the the legacy so far hasn't been the most encouraging. Yeah, so yeah. it suggests that things need to get a lot better in that way if people really want this kind of currency to go mainstream. Yeah. All right. On the subject of money, we're going to move on to the next subject, and this is this intrigues me. Yeah. Well, the article itself doesn't intrigue me, but the company. So this is an article on TechCrunch, but of course it was sort of news in all sorts of places. SoftBank uh, makes an offer for Uber shares at 30% discount. Um, I mean, the, the article itself is, is semi-interesting, but the thing that actually interests me is SoftBank themselves. Uh, like we, at the moment, we talked about a lot about this on the last podcast about you know, the influence of tech companies and the responsibility they need to take in the future. And there's a lot of companies that come under fire when we have these discussions. But to me, SoftBank are one of these companies that, like, they have got 
so many fingers in so many pies that because they're just an investment company, they sort of float under the radar a bit. I'm actually just, I just pulled up an article on Business Insider here to try and find, uh, here we go, a list of uh, investments, chronological order. Let's just go through some of the highlights. Um, WeWork. Uh, who actually just invested in Meetup, which is a whole other mm. uh, topic we I could discuss, that. which was kind of interesting. They invested in WeWork. They invested in Arm, who are responsible oh, for most of the processors in mobile devices. They've invested right. in Uber and Uber Rivals. They've invested in lots of payment solutions in India. They've invested in NVIDIA, another chip manufacturer. Uh, they've mm. invested in health companies. They've invested in industrial They've invested in, in Improbable in London, who actually have friends who work for them. They make a virtual kind of operating system. They've invested mm-hmm. in Boston Dynamics, the robot manufacturers. Yeah, that's uh, right. They've invested in Israeli security companies. They've invested in artificial intelligence. They've invested in farming. Uh, they've invested in autonomous driving, uh, Uber rivals in Southeast Asia, uh, money lending. Mm-hmm. They've invested in Deliveroo, food delivery. They've invested in a Roomba. <laughs> They've invested in <laughs> Slack, which is a rumor. Uh, and now Uber. And I'm pretty sure there's some others there I've heard of. Uh, this company has fingers everywhere. And I sometimes wonder if we should be more concerned. <laughs> well, mm. What do you think, Kate? I'd be curious to know how big the investments are. Like, they're large. You know, I think they're reasonable. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these would be package deals where they have like a consortium type scenario where, you know, they, they might lead an investment, but there could be five other companies mm. involved or, or VCs or what have you. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it it's a, it's an interesting strategy. You know, there are a lot of people that will choose a technology to invest in like mobile mm. or um, silicon or, I don't know, some kind of hardware or tr- just transport, you know, a, a particular vertical of tech. Mm, but mm. these guys are kind of like, no, we're kind of into all of it and we're going to spread ourselves out and see where, you know, see where the money is maybe or see where the yeah. future tech is perhaps. And they're Japanese I can't as help well. wondering yeah. with the, um, you know, the convergence of the robotics and the, <laughs> the, the driving scenarios. Food, um, healthcare. Ooh. You know, they're kind of setting themselves up for world for, domination. For nice, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you when you think world domination, a lot of people just think of Amazon, but, um, who you know have certainly spread their wings over the last year, and there's been a few sneaky patents out there and things like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it sounds like SoftBank is um, certainly contender for that kind of role. And I think we should have more concern. I'm going to start a new uh, a new campaign here, it's like. <laughs> Have a bit more concern over what SoftBank are doing. And maybe other VCs, but they're the ones that pop up the most. Yeah. Okay. And on the, continuing the subjects of uh, money <laughs> or finance, um, this is interesting. So I listen to a lot of American podcasts, and one of the topics that pops up time and time again on American podcasts is net neutrality. Uh, and it's interesting because it's a subject that means very little to us non-Americans directly, but means a lot to us indirectly, I think. Uh, this is where it, it's hard to know. Um, and the Obama uh, administration... I actually nearly said the Obama regime then. That was a bit <laughs> The Obama administration under the FCC chief of Tom Wheeler, who was actually initially seemed a bit of an enemy of kind of the free internet and then actually ended up being a, a good supporter of it introduced policies that kind of 
ensured that net neutrality um, would be enshrined. And now, under the Trump mm -hmm. administration, this is possibly going to reverse. So, what is net neutrality? It basically means that all traffic is equal. Um, and non-net neutrality means that certain companies can pay to have their traffic prioritised over others. Mm. I mean, in a, in a kind of network infrastructure, this can happen through, like, quality of service um, uh, set up but that's a little different i mean that's kind mm. of you prior i actually saw a really nice video that explained it today in you know your kind of two minute low concentration terms mm. and so i'll make sure i put the link down because it was quite well yeah done. and I, I mean i don't want to focus too much on this because it really is not a subject that we know too much about we're in the european union well we yeah. are generally i'm not right now of course but where <laughs> things are regulated far more and the chances of this ever happening are very slim. I mean, even when we were trying to choose our internet package, all the companies pretty much have the same package. Like, there's hardly any competition between them, to be honest with you. You're, you're basically choosing over very minor differences. Um, so it's highly unlikely that... Although I but, think... I mean, I think, you, you would probably... I guess be feeling some of the pain points well, so, where you are because well, one of the yeah. ideas is well actually that, just, you know just, just slow to, internet access yeah just to just to just let me finish my um, sentence um, I think the European Union were discussing this at some point um, but yeah well Australia is a sort of different conversation their internet problems are around other things but I guess the important fact is how will this actually affect people in the rest of the world. I mean, a lot of the companies and services that we use are American-based. And will net neutrality end up affecting everybody because of this? This is kind of the important thing to keep an eye on. Um, mm. If Netflix is slow, which is unlikely actually because they're probably one of the companies that will pay, but coming out of America, will it also be slow for people elsewhere? It's hard to really know. And it will depend very mm. much on the company and how you access it and things like that. But, you know, this is the interesting thing with technology in America, of course, that decisions there will affect us in the rest of the world. So it's important to keep an eye on it. Um, but we don't... Basically, what I was getting at is outside of America, I think very few countries have the kind of crazy monopolization they have of services. Um, and that's the really big issue, I think, there. But, yeah, keep an eye on it. I mean, um, it's not... It's not... Uh, set in stone yet and I, it sort of feeds into this always this american ideal of competition mm. is good uh, which is sometimes true and sometimes not true and this is kind of the thing it's like well if companies can uh get increase their innovation by having by paying more great and it's yeah it's great for the companies that can afford it but for example people like us or even like the Twit Network example, a, a bigish podcasting network uh, in the US that a lot of people around the world listen to, but they don't have the kind of money that like Netflix has to prioritise their traffic. It's those kind of people who will suffer the most, um, kind of middling sized uh, providers, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard much about this subject. I, I hear it a lot on the podcasts I listen to. It's funny that it's come back again, but. Yeah, I, I think it was a, a repeal of those um, yeah. those safeguards that is being proposed, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a proposal at the moment. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But it's important to keep an eye on it, even if you're not in the mm. US. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'll, I'll have a read of this article on Wired because I think it sums up quite nicely uh, the current situation, why you should be worried about mm. it, etc. And the interesting thing as well is it not getting too political, but it feeds quite nicely into what is also happening under the Trump administration with the new tax laws that just got proposed in that even a lot of Republicans are not very <laughs> not very on side mm, with, with some of these things. It's like, you know, they're actually proposing uh, legislation that even the fellow Republicans are not particularly pleased with. So it's kind mm. of, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. All right, we'll have a look at that and... Um, yeah, keep an eye on it because it's it'll be important for all of us. When America sneezes, the internet gets a cold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm going to introduce our next topics. We're going to be looking a little bit in the past and a little bit in the future, looking at love and intimacy. And the first one I wanted to to raise was actually about Second Life. Um, and this article was called "The Digital Ruins of a Forgotten Future" mm. in in a publication called The Atlantic, and it's, firstly, it's worth saying, firstly, for those who can't really remember what Second Life is or ne- were never really involved in it, it's a bit like um, uh, it's a bit like being in VR or being in your own kind of computer game or your own Sim City, um, your own virtual world where you know there's a, of course a screen. There's not like you're wearing Google Glass or anything like that, but it's just a screen on your laptop that you can create characters that are. I guess, in a sense, a, um, a representation of yourself, like an avatar, and then um, they are, are living a what they call literally a second life. To the extent that a second life is a marketplace, people can build houses, people can create businesses, people can buy and sell to other people that live in second life. And I think what, what the, one of the most interesting use cases I find for second life that I've read in a different... Um, I've heard from different people and, and read in different scenarios is the really the idea that people have these whole contained lives that are completely unlike anything else they have in the rest of their you know their, their if we say their real life if we can call it that um, and it's often people that are, you know their real life is like in this this um, this article it talks about parents of people with very severe children with very severe disabilities um people that don't have access to you know um children there's actually a whole kind of uh situational scenario in second life where people have children and so other people adults pretend to be their their children in the second life um some people get married both in the real life and the second life um some people are married outside of the second life but then they have a second spouse if that makes sense um it's this fascinating kind of mentality and what what is interesting about the article is the um the woman who wrote it is kind of trying to get into second life and she finds it clunky she finds it embarrassing she finds it kind of um you know dated and and just questions the um I guess the power of it, but when you think that it's got all these economies just within it, mm. real estate, um, people hold concerts there, people buy wedding gowns, all kinds of weird stuff. Um, it's really quite fascinating. And when you consider that it's a pretty harmless way for people who may not have escapism in other parts of their life to, to get some reprise or some, you know, some, I don't know, some some safety or some security. It's it's pretty humbling to think about that. Yeah, I found it quite fascinating, and 
Actually, the thing I found interesting is because it was one of those uh, early kind of internet 2.0 services that was so hyped and then just vanished. And, uh, and the article kind of proposes that this was due to Facebook. And I found this interesting. It was like, you know, people wanted an escape into a world that they could create for themselves. But Second Life was almost too much. And the, the much more simplicity and just text-basedness of Facebook was actually kind of more appealing <laughs> than this kind of fully immersive mm. world. And this is interesting because towards the end of the article, they start talking about uh, jumps into VR, which make a lot of sense. And, of course, Facebook owns Oculus Rift. And, you know, could Facebook itself become the new Second Life? Um, and I guess the question there is, bearing in mind that Second Life was never as big as it was thought it would be, do people even want mm. that kind of environment? Do we prefer just reading yeah. streams of text and images instead of a totally immersive thing? Is the whole immersive VR environment overhyped? Maybe people don't want it. Um, yeah. And I also find these sorts of articles interesting because you have this tendency, one has this tendency to think that just because you haven't heard of a company for a few years, it's gone. And, mm. you know, they still have 600,000 regular users, which is not right. is not Facebook levels, but it's decent. There's plenty of companies that would not be upset about that amount of users. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah. I found it quite fascinating and I highly recommend you have a read. And then sort of moving forward, Kate, I think the, the article that pairs with this is a, an article from Wired that uh, looks at the... Yeah, yeah. this article's um, about Android robotics and a guy called Hiroshi Isaguro, who builds Android Robotics, um, and what I guess what it looks like it looks at is this idea that are we using the robots to represent ourselves, or are we using them to um, like are, are we learning from them? Mm. You know, which way is the is the communication going? And it's um, it, it starts with looking at um, a father with a, a small child where they're trying to teach the um, the girl to play with the robot, yeah. and um, she ends up um, just bursting into tears, finding it quite strange. Mm. So it's um, well. To be fair, you know, he did it, make a copy of her. <laughs> Which yeah, shouldn't help, I don't but know. it's a bit weird, right? Playing with a copy it's, of yourself—it's like having a doll of yourself. That's kind of kind of kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but this guy, in, in the last fifteen years, he's reduced um, thirty androids. Yeah. Most of them are female, and they're all fairly basic. Um, I've seen, they're, I, they're fairly basic. I've seen ones, some yeah. of these. Yeah, they include replicas of a newscaster, an actress, mm -hmm. a fashion model. Um, They've been seen in um, cafes, department stores, singing in malls, before being in plays. I, I, I remember writing about one that was used in an amusement park to um, to welcome people. Mm. So a lot of them have fairly um, benign yeah. functions that are fairly limited, let's be honest. They're not particularly advanced. And, and I think I'm pretty sure, I read this article a couple of weeks ago now, but I'm pretty sure that it felt like more recently he'd started making less idealised androids. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think he'd maybe tried to hu humanise them a little bit more because, you know, I, I, I still think with a lot of this stuff and, you know, I've got all kinds of opinions on on um, robot companion robots mm. across the spectrum. I think that there is a... Com a a propensity to perpetuate this idea of the ideal, the ideal woman, mm. or the flawless woman, or the woman without bad traits. You know, someone who doesn't get sarcastic, doesn't get rude, doesn't get angry, what have you. And he's always willing to have um, 
you know, a happy conversation. And I, I know it's something that's even transferred across to the um, the uh, sex robots because they seem to be something well, that's yeah. growing in popularity. <laughs> and I think they have a... To the extent that there's a number yeah. of them now where they're programmed that um, the user has to... Some, sometimes they have to flirt with them first before they can approach any sexual um, <laughs> behaviours. Or they have to behave in certain... You know, they have to say certain things or behave in a certain way. Don't ask me exactly what they, ha- what they have to do because I can't... I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, think, I don't think this article went that far. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I think that people are rightfully questioning the... Um, I don't know. The, the authenticity. I mean, the idea that, you know, we're not only building a, a companion, but... Regardless of how the per- how the doll or the person that it represents looks is you know not not my biggest issue at all. It's it's more to do with what about the personality mm. beneath it. I think that's kind of kind of interesting. And I think I don't know. It's it's interesting because we talk about uh, this aspect of social networks polishing our kind of lives too much, and I, with when it comes to having relationships with robots and if they're all ideal idealized. I'm wondering, like, is that the ultimate conclusion of that? And that's just the way it's going to be? Or for mm. relationships to be really, to really work with robots, they have to be a little imperfect. How much do we actually like that imperfection, I suppose, is the question. Will we, will the pioneers of this start with these very perfected relationships, but for people to actually accept it more fully, they're like, well, I, this is too creepy. I want, I want a, a, a partner robot that argues with me and, <laughs> and doesn't and, do the and dishes. It, and like, and, I think what you're saying, yeah. the the imperfections are what makes it human, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. But do we like that or not, I suppose, is the question. I mean, you know, I actually... So I'm going to well, tell you something, Kate, that's super funny, and this will... I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, when I went on this trip to Geelong the other day, I was talking to a guy there about the podcast and he listened to it. And, he's, oh. and he said... I said, oh, yeah, I, I do. I don't know if anyone else has ever picked up on this. Maybe we should be explicit about this right now, a couple of episodes in. So Kate and I are married. <laughs> and, and I said, um, you know, well, we do the podcast together. Uh, and I've kind of got, you know, like sometimes there's that, that, that comment about, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder and sometimes you want a bit of space and things like that. So I guess the first week I was away, I was like, oh, you know, enjoying a bit of space and now I'm kind of a bit over it and getting a bit fed up. Um, and looking forward to coming home. And he actually said to me, I didn't realise you were married. I thought I should probably tell your wife there was a bit of chemistry between the two of you. (laughs) 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 So, 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 uh, Oh, that's kind of lovely, isn't it? We must be very professional then. You know, basically basically what what I'm getting at is, you know, relationships are not perfect and... You know, you want a bit of space from each other sometimes. You, you, you have some good moments. You have some bad moments. But those kind of almost working through those is the point of the relationship itself. And to be blunt, like Kate and I will be married ten years next year. And yeah, oh, no. there's there's not so much of the kind of wild crazy times. A lot of the time, it's just having someone around and actually. I, I, it almost feels like... Are that you was... saying I could be replaced by a doll? No, no, not at all, actually. I'm saying that it would be hard to replicate that. Like, sometimes yeah. you don't actually... You don't... It's not actually so much you need to do. Like, I feel like a robot would kind of be like... So you just want me to do nothing? You know? <laughs> like a, I don't know. It's just like... 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it's very hard to replicate I, because there's, you know, for whatever... You know, it would be interesting. Yeah. It would be interesting to find out people that do have companion robots. And, and I'm talking about ones that are there for a, um, you know, uh, I'm not necessarily in a sexual way, but as, as company, as yeah. opposed to having yeah. a domestic task, yeah. like a robot yeah. that, you know, helps you get out of bed or something. Um, if, if they were people that had, had relationships with humans, mm. like with, you know... Their, their contemporaries or not, because I know this is something that has been raised by ethicists, mm. this idea that we'll be raising a generation, a generation of people that have have only had relationships with robots. Yeah, and I, and I suppose, actually, you know, if you look back through some of the science fiction, which is often where we get inspired for these things, even something like Her, it actually mm. starts to become a little imperfect as well. I don't know. And then this is the interesting thing because relationships with between humans are multifaceted. There's a little bit of sex. There's a little bit of just chemicals that sometimes you can't completely even understand why you are with someone and attracted to someone just because there's stuff triggered that just draws you to each other. There's companionship. There's mutual self-reliability. You know, a lot of long-term relationships especially are just that, to be blunt, that you need each other. <laughs> <laughs> and it's easier. Very true. You know, and so there's a lot of aspects to it, which I think are sometimes hard to replicate because we don't even understand them ourselves. But, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> now, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just going to say, because you mentioned um, her and the idea of these, um, you know, connected um, voice, voice devices. Mm. I actually saw a really good horror, short horror film to do with Amazon Alexa and... Um, it's you know it's a two or three minute film, mm. but it's actually quite scary. Mm. So I'm going to put the link in the um, in the show notes, and I would encourage people maybe don't watch it in a public space like I did because I was at a co-working space. I had my headphones on, and I just went <laughs> really loud, and everyone looked. <laughs> please do, but, please um, do, please do. It's definitely worth a look. Okay, now we're going to take things down a few notches from intimacy with robots to something completely the other end of the spectrum. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of new releases. We'll keep this fairly short because we're running short on time today. Um, so, okay. Uh, in my other podcast, I do the Write the Docs podcast uh, we did on uh, Sunday, Monday, depending where we are in the world, which is out now. Uh, we spoke to the product manager of um, the Mozilla Developer Network. And if you've ever done any web development, you've probably used the tool at some point about how they actually merged their documentation with Microsoft, Samsung, W3C, and a couple of other players. And this is actually usually fairly unusual in technical projects to actually get people together to collaborate on something instead of doing their own thing. And, I, I mean, I love, I love Mozilla. Mozilla as a company I always love um, because they kind of stand for this open internet and they've had a few hiccups along the way, but mm. their, their heart is mostly in the right place. Um, and it made me want to go and download Firefox again. And, and Firefox just released a couple of weeks ago the new Quantum version. It's faster. It has a new rendering engine, etc., 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 etc. And I downloaded it because I have been struggling with browsers recently. I, I got a bit sick of Chrome because it's such a memory hog. You have, haven't you? I then tried Opera, which I quite liked, but uh, it has some bugs. And it also was... I mean, to be honest with you, most of the problems with browsers are not the browsers themselves. It's that web pages are so heavy with junk 
Uh, and actually using an ad blocker in Opera really showed me how much junk there was on some web pages. Uh, and some of the websites we've mentioned today are some of the worst offenders, actually. Um, but then oh, no. <laughs> I, 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 I got to try Firefox again, and yeah, it's fast, it's nice, but I just have this constant problem with Firefox that it doesn't look very good. <laughs> and I just, that is important to me, unfortunately. Like some of the font rendering is weird. It doesn't look very Mac OS-like. Um, the preference panes are just not non, are just non-standard and... I don't know, I really wanted to love it, but I ended up closing it again after a day. Um, and yeah, I, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you really have any comment on this, Kate, and I just wanted to include it because I almost wanted to get thoughts from people. Like this, it's this, often this problem with pure open source projects, actually, that uh, the, the intentions are great, but sometimes the usability is not so good. And, and I know this from my own experience. It's because often the way that open source projects are funded and developed. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is a bit of a kind of a square peg into a round hole. Of, of We talked a little bit about this last time as well with um, developers' focus. And, and actually, this uh, somewhat at the other end of the scale, uh, this intrigued me in some respects in that it's not even... It's not even any different in the proprietary world. So macOS High Sierra had a huge bug revealed yesterday, which uh, Apple have now released an update to. And it was a doozy, to quote Kate. Um, You could basically log into the root account. And for anyone who doesn't really understand what that means, basically uh, macOS is a Unix-based system. And every Unix-based system, including Linux, has a root account that is sometimes enabled, sometimes disabled, that gives you, like supreme control basically you're the super yeah. user and it but it let you log into this account with no password <laughs> which is thought, a yeah. real doozy um it's really bad and the thing that in my mind is this has been spoken about ad infinitum on mac and ios or apple podcasts and, and news outlets but High Sierra and apparently iOS 11, I wouldn't really know because I'm not really an iOS user, have been terrible updates. Speaking as a long-term macOS user, High Sierra has literally been the worst macOS I've ever used. There are so many bugs with it, from big ones like this to really random small ones that I've been grappling with and trying to find solutions to and haven't. Um, the, yeah, and I, so the proprietary world is no better. And I, I sort of almost... I think it feeds very nicely back into what we were talking about last week. Like, just it's almost like agile development has gone too far. Like, mm. that developers are now like, oh well, it doesn't matter if there's problems; we can just fix it later. <laughs> we're agile; it doesn't matter. Um, uh. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And it just it just sparked in my mind, just like seriously, like these. I can understand tiny bugs, but these are serious bugs. This is a major, major problem. Like. I don't know. I don't even really know where to start with this. And it's so fresh fresh in my mind. I haven't really digested it into something cohesive, but I just wanted to mention it. Like, And I don't really want to necessarily relate the two together with saying, oh, Firefox is a bit ugly. Oh, my God, what's that about? Mm. It's more that saying the proprietary world is no better. It still has these problems sure, too. Sure. And is it just a general representation of sort of what we were talking about last time, that developers are just kind of getting too much sway and, and all these issues are slipping through because no one's keeping them in check. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Any thoughts, Kate? I don't know if this is really a topic that... 
don't know. I, I'm probably not the best person to, to talk about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a developer, so I don't have to grapple with these issues all day. Yeah. Like some people. Well, you have to you have to grapple with the repercussions of them, though. To be fair. You know, you may not grapple with the process, but you grapple with the end result. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know, uh, and you probably grapple with I it. I should warn. I should just warn the listeners. I have a a grumpy cat who's sitting on the desk at the moment. So if you hear me sound out, she's walked on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think she's... this is something I'd like to go to in more detail. I actually was just speaking to people on uh, the D Zone Slack about maybe writing an article about this. Uh, I think there's yeah, so many facets of it. I don't even know where to start. You should totally do that. Yeah. I think you've got a lot to say. Yeah. All right, Kate, we're running short on time because I actually have an interview yeah. with uh, Circle CI, which um, very nice. interesting company, coming up in about five minutes. So we probably Let's close it off, don't right? have time to go into what have we been writing, et cetera, et cetera, the, the past We can do years. that next time. Well, maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. Anything sure. very, very crucial coming up over the next couple of days that you want to tell people you're up to or anything, Kate? Uh, I'm going to a um, startup boot camp tomorrow okay. to see bit, bit the um, you know the, the demo day. That'll be interesting. Okay. So I'll tell you a bit of, yeah. all a bit about that in the next show. And for me, after I leave Australia and this podcast might come out in time, I'm not 100% sure, I'm going to Dubai, city of the future, <laughs> mm. for a couple of days. I've got a few interviews lined up. Um, if anyone hears this podcast before that and feels like having a chat with me, then or post, of course, I could still do interviews after I've left. It's fine. Then please get in touch because there's some bizarre things going on there, uh, and I would be interested in digging into a bit more detail. In, in Dubai, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it'd be very interesting. Just the levels of, of technology they do, but then offsetting that with some of the kind of other side of things, shall we say, in Dubai. Um, I will yes, report back. Very true. So, yeah. I look forward to it. Kate, how can the good listeners stay in touch with you and what you're up to? Yeah, sure. Um, you can have a look on my um, my website, which is katelawrence.com, or on Twitter. I'm always tweeting enthusiastically at kate underscore Lawrence. That's Kate with a C and Lawrence with a W. And you can stay in touch with me at chrischinchilla.com and at chrischinch on Twitter's. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to gregariousmammal.com slash podcast where you can find show notes and previous shows and give us multiple stars and thumbs up in this in any of your podcast catching software. And if you especially like the show, you can support us with donations. Bitcoin donations, greatly accepted. And merchandise at gregariousmammal.com slash support. Uh, but for now, that's been us and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>